This is Zach Driscoll, and I'd like to welcome you to the Real Men Podcast. To find more Bible teaching and content like this, visit markdriscoll.org. And don't forget to set aside a good chunk of time, because my dad has a habit of preaching lengthy sermons. Well, howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll here with Real Men. And I just want to say in advance, thank you for the great honor that it is to be invited to your life in this incredibly complicated season. And uh, usually I take a section of scripture and work on it in great depth. Today, we're just going to have one verse. It's going to be super practical because here's what I think. I think you need a pastor right now, this very moment, you need a pastor. And even if you've got a pastor, a great pastor, for our time together, I just want you to give me the honor of being your pastor, trying to help unburden you, give you some next steps for how to proceed with life in a very complicated season. So I'm titling this talk, uh, Real Advice for Real Men, knowing as well, a lot of you ladies are tuning in and that's fine and good, we're glad to have you. And my heart for men is this, that as God calls men to lead, and some of you women also are head of household, you carry an additional burden. You're concerned for your family, you're concerned for your income, you're concerned for your country, you're concerned for your health. We're in that moment as a nation, actually as a planet. Now, that being said, as you are a leader in whatever sphere you are leading and whatever responsibilities you have, you are carrying burdens for other people. I want to also help carry some burdens for you. I want you to be well so that you can love and lead and serve others well. Uh, That being said, what I'm going to talk about comes really out of life experience. And uh, my family and I have got five kids. My wife, Grace, and I have been together for more than 30 years, if you include our dating years. And we had one season of our life that felt a lot like this season, at least to us. It wasn't global, but it was personal for us. It was that kind of season where it feels like the bottom falls out of life all at once, and it's overwhelming, it's exhausting, it's terrifying, and it's absolute uncertainty. And as a result, um, we had to learn how to cope with and navigate that kind of season. And so I want to share some practical things with you from that season. But in particular, what it felt like in that season is what it feels like in this season, something that the counselors will call complex grief. Oftentimes what happens in life, something happens, and then we process it, we grieve it, we learn from it, we recover from it, we heal from it, and then we move forward. Complex grief is like an avalanche. One thing after another just keeps coming down on you, and you don't have time to process any of it. Uh, This is like the book of Job. Uh, Job is a godly man in the Old Testament. There was spiritual warfare at work behind his suffering. I think that at least in part uh, explains what's going on globally today. And what happened was, it says that a courier would bring him bad news. And then before that courier could finish giving the bad news, the next courier would arrive to give the latest bad news. And as a result, Job didn't get a chance to process any of this complex grief that he was going through. And this is exactly what people are experiencing. And this is a major contributing factor. This is the source of constant bad news. Christianity is about good news. And it contributes to complex grief and compounded fear. That's exactly what we are seeing happen. Now, that being said, what happened for us is in an instant, in one day, it felt like everything in our life that was previous, literally the bottom dropped out. Uh, New job, didn't know I was gonna work. Uh, New house meant we were gonna move. New state meant we were gonna relocate. Obviously that means new city for the kids, that means new school. What we knew is that everything that was normal and looked like a routine and some sense of security, that was over. 
And what we didn't have was any clarity, confidence, or certainty about what was to come in the future. So you're in that time between the times where where you were is gone and where you're going is unknown. And that gap is where we find ourselves right now. Uh, we live there as a family for a season. And as a result, we relocated to uh, Scottsdale, Arizona and uh, had our house for sale out of state. Uh, all my equity was tied up in it. And I had some hope that that would be secure. Had a little bit of equity in the house, hopefully sell it, get the cash, relocate the family, buy a new house, get us set up, move on to the next season. I thought, well, you know, the bottom has dropped out, but that's okay because we've still got, you know, assets and equity. And as many of you have experienced with your stocks, or your investment this week, uh, if you store up your treasures on earth, moth and rust or pestilence and plague or virus and economics come to destroy. Well, we were here in Arizona and it was a Saturday, I'll never forget. And the phone rang and it was the alarm for my home that was out of state and was for sale on the market. And I thought, you know, maybe it's a false alarm or maybe somebody has broken in. So I called my realtor and I said, hey, could you go check on my house? The alarm is on, which is weird. He called me in an absolute frenzied panic and uh, he could hardly speak and he was tripping over his words. And all he could say was, uh, your house is broken. I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's, it's not all there. I was like, well, what are you talking about? Let me show you our house. That was my house. This was my day of complex grief. Quit your job, leave your church, leave your city, leave your state, pull your kids out of, sk out of school, relocate to another state. We were in a VRBO at that time. And uh, literally the thing smelled like Satan's feet. That's exactly what the VRBO smelled like. So we hope this wasn't our final destination. And our hope was sell the home, pull out the equity, and then move on with life. And then this happened, complex grief, complex grief. I jumped on a plane. I didn't know what the condition was. Flew up, the power was out. It was the middle of a massive storm, rain, lots of sideways wind, freezing out. Uh, the fence that was electronically gated for security and we needed it uh, was not functioning because the electricity was down. So I had to climb the fence in the rain, in the dark. I've got my phone as a flashlight and I'm trying to look and I come up to our house in the middle of the night and this is it. This um, right here is the foundation and what's missing is my bedroom. If my wife and I would have been alive and living in that house that Saturday morning, we would have died. This tree literally split our bed down the middle. That's our bed. Now, Saturday mornings, I pretty much always sleep in. Sometimes Grace does. The kids would have lost at least one, maybe both parents to death. But for me, this was my moment of complex grief. Okay, I've got five kids. I've got responsibilities. I've got a wife. We've moved out of state. All of our possessions were in this home. Now I can't secure it. It's in the woods. Now I got deer and raccoons and animals moving into my house, eating my food, you know, sleeping on my sofa. I can't secure it. We're out of state. What do we do? Complex grief. Complex grief. How can I possibly move my family forward? I can't qualify for a home. I don't have a job. And this is my equity. We're in a city where we don't have any family or friends. We really don't know anybody. The bottom drops out. Fear comes in. This was for me a moment of incredible fear. It feels like my family is in jeopardy of having some sort of tragic, dire, 
unrecoverable future. And so I wanna share with you uh, a scripture, and then I want to help you respond in crisis and tragedy. And part of it is for me in years past, if I'm completely honest with you, I didn't respond well. I would go into fight or flight mode. Uh, Fight meaning I just work, and I work myself to two intestinal ulcers and blew out my adrenal glands as a young man. And then in addition, sometimes flight, I would just disappear. I would grab the kids and go out of town for a long time or just, just kind of hang out at home and try and ignore and avoid. And I wanted to learn in this season how to not have fight or flight, but faith. How to walk step-by-step step into the future that God would have for me and my family. And this being said, what I was struggling with, and I'm assuming that what you're struggling with right now, and our whole world is struggling with right now, is the spirit of fear. It explains some of the mass paranoia. It explains some of the groupthink behavior and the herd mentality. He says this in 2 Timothy 1.7, that God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the only verse I'll use, and I want to make it super practical because I love you and I want to help. And what it's talking about here is that your life and decision-making is driven either by the Holy Spirit or the spirit of fear. The Holy Spirit is God and he will lead you into wisdom and a future character like Christ. The spirit of fear is demonic and comes to undo everything God does. And so ultimately in these moments, what some of you have already experienced, maybe all of you have already experienced, is the overwhelming sense of a spirit of fear. Um, There was one occasion, if I'm totally honest with you, that comes to mind in one of the most catastrophic moments of our complex grief, where I stepped outside uh, to take a phone call in the car because I didn't want to take it in front of the kids. And we were on vacation and it was hot out, over 100 degrees. And I was sitting in a black Jeep with the windows rolled up. And uh, I got this call with more bad information. And it literally is like the hardwiring in my brain short-circuited. I could not process any more bad data. And so the kids were waiting in the house so that I could take them swimming and inner tubing. As I said, we were on vacation. And so I took this call and I was in my car and I awoke sometime later, my head was just literally on the steering wheel looking at the speedometer, but I wasn't moving. So I didn't really need to pay that much attention to the speed. It was all zero. I kind of came to and I assumed I'd been in the car for a couple of minutes and I grabbed my phone and then I noticed I'm soaking wet, covered in sweat. I thought, that's really weird. And I go into the house and the kids are all there in their swimsuits and they are preparing to meet me and they look frustrated. And they said, uh, hey dad, I thought we were gonna go swimming and boating. I said, well kids, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm here to take you. And the hard thing is in moments of complex grief and crisis, Some of normal life continues, but you're not okay. And so you're shifting between, okay, life is okay, it's normal. No, it's not, it's upside down. And so I just went from complex grief, upside down, spirit of fear, walk in the door, there are my kids. They say, dad, I thought you were gonna take us swimming and air tubing. I said, I I was, I, I said, I just had to take a quick call. And they said, dad, that was not a quick call. And I looked at my phone and it was literally like a three, four, five minute call. And I said, well, it was only a three, four, five minute call. They said, dad, look what time you took the call. It was over an hour that I sat in the car in shock, 
looking at a speedometer in a parked car in 100 degrees. That's a spirit of fear, just gripping, kind of overwhelming. Many people are experiencing this. Many people are sensing this. What you're seeing now is the result of what I would say is a global spirit of fear that is also exacerbated by information and technology that can just fuel panic and paranoia. And even if it is real, what is coming, if the spirit of fear is on you, you're not going to be prepared for it or rightly respond to it. I know this spirit very, very well. And God, the Holy Spirit, he wants you to have the power to live through whatever circumstances you have. He wants you to know of his love for you that you can share out of love for others and self-control so that you're reasonable and rational in your decision-making process, not just herd mentality and frantic following of others' foolishness. But when the spirit of fear comes, you feel absolutely powerless, like there's no hope for you and there is no option for you. In addition, you don't feel that God loves you and you become very selfish and you don't have any love to give anyone else because it's everyone for themselves. And also you lose self-control and you start making very foolish decisions, some of which are self-destructive. So I wanna share with you in our season of complex grief and my experience with the spirit of fear as someone who has done it wrong, but by God's grace, when this situation and season hit, by God's grace, I learned some things, I made some pivots, God was gracious to me. And this was some years ago, so I'm happy to report that we're on the other side and now we're into the next thing. And so I don't mean to discourage you, but what you're going through right now may actually be growing and maturing you, preparing you for the next thing. This is not the only thing that you will face. Some of you are young and there are many, many, many miles ahead and there are many mountains to climb. And so that season prepared me for this season, which will prepare me for the next season. But I did write down 12 really practical things. And if you're a copious note taker, you can go to markdriscoll.org and on the blog, I've got my full notes. And so you don't have to, you don't have to catch up. But the first thing I did is I, I wanted to invite the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God to number one, help me focus on being healthy, focus on being healthy. When things like this happen, like right now, the whole globe literally is gripped by a spirit of fear. What people will do, they'll, some will not eat at all. That's not good for your health. Some will overeat, binge eat, self-indulge. That's not good for your health. Some will overconsume alcohol. Some will self-medicate with prescription and or illegal drugs. Uh, some will not get enough sleep because of stress and anxiety. Some will cease to exercise. They will not watch their weight, their blood pressure, practical things. Here's what I need you to know. If you're not healthy, you can't make healthy decisions. If you're not healthy, you can't have healthy relationships. If you're not healthy, you can't have a healthy future. For me, I wanted to have healthy relationships. I wanted to be a healthy person. I wanted to make healthy decisions. I wanted to have a healthy family. By God's grace, one day I wanted to have a healthy ministry. And I knew that even if I fixed everything out here, all the finances and all the scheduling and all the details and all the data, if everything out here was okay, but if things weren't okay in here, then it was gonna be a real problem. So I wanna encourage you, number one, focus on your health. Focus on your health, focus on your health. The stress that comes with this kind of situation, it can be very taxing to the body and it can rob you of life and health. Number two, 
um, I decided that our priorities would drive our decision-making. When you make your decisions driven by the spirit of fear, you will never arrive at the will of God. The only way to arrive at the will of God is to be driven by the Holy Spirit in faith, not driven by the spirit of fear. And so rather than responding and reacting to all the intel and data that we were receiving, uh, Grace and I pulled aside and we prayerfully, literally just went back to basics. What are our priorities? And we came to the conclusion, number one, healthy Christians, healthy Christians, healthy relationship with Jesus. Even if everything falls apart, if we have Jesus, we got the most important thing and that's our relationship with God. Number two, our marriage, healthy marriage. How do we love each other? How do we sit in the foxhole together? How do we encourage one another on the days that she was down? How do I pick her up on the days that I'm down? How does she pick me up on the days we're both down? How do we sit in it together as friends? Healthy marriage, healthy marriage. And what's happening now with a lot of people being home more and no real end in sight to when we get to resume whatever normal life might look like, there's a lot of pressure on the marriage because of more time together. And also one of the things that couples argue and fight about the most is finances. So you take all the stress of uncertainty, you take the spirit of fear, all the bad news, and also the financial pressure that you are feeling, and that is great pressure on your marriage. And Satan wants to use it to break that relationship. God wants to use it to build that relationship. And so for Grace and I in that season, our friendship, our relationship, it got built, it got strengthened, it made us closer. Healthy relationship with God, healthy relationship with spouse, healthy relationship with each of your children. Family dinners, we now have more time than ever to be with our kids. In addition, um, just inviting each of them into a relationship, checking on their hearts, seeing how they're doing, healthy relationship with the kids. And then it was for me, healthy pastor or job. My job was my fourth priority because at the end of the day, if I'm not good with Jesus, it doesn't matter what I do or how much I make, it's gonna be a problem. If I'm not good with grace, it doesn't matter what I do or how much I make, it's gonna be a problem. If I'm not good with my kids, it doesn't matter what I do or how much I make, it's going to be a problem. If these things are in order, then when this thing locks in, it'll bless and benefit all of this, but it can't be at the expense of first priorities. So for us, when we started making very practical decisions, where do we live? Where do the kids go to school? What do we do for income? What's the next season look like? What's our new version of normal? We drove our decisions on health and our priorities, health and priorities. And our goal was to have a healthy life as healthy people that kept our priorities in God's intended order. Number three, what we would do in our season, and we're doing it now, is we would call family meetings. Family meetings is where we'd come together as a family and I as head of household, along with Grace as co-leader, we would tell the kids age appropriate, okay, here's where we're at, here's what's going on, here's what we're praying about, what questions do you have, what concerns do you have? We wanted to speak to them, we wanted to hear from them, and then we wanted to give prayer requests to the family. And so within that, we would give certain information to all the kids, and then we would meet privately and individually to give more age-specific appropriate information. So with the situation that we have going on right now, if you have kids of different ages, they can't all handle the same kind of information. 
In, addif- in addition, their temperaments and personalities. Some kids are worriers and you give them too much information and it's just gonna paralyze them. Other kids, they need to know because they're just curious and they can emotionally handle it. And so it's meeting as a family, processing as a family, praying as a family, and then also meeting individually to also check in on each of the kids. How are you doing? Asking questions. Anything I can answer for you? Anything you're worried about? You know, any fears that you have? How are you sleeping? How are you processing this? What are you getting from social media? What are you hearing from your friends? And what I told our kids in that season was, there's gonna be times you're fearful and or angry and let me be your lightning rod. A lightning rod literally grounds out a storm so that people don't get hurt. Uh, Your kids and your spouse, uh, they need a lightning rod and that can be the Lord and that can be you. So it's being healthy, making decisions according to your priorities, scheduling family meetings, And what that does then is that it encourages everyone not to have whatever is going on in the world be the dominating constant conversation in the family. It's like, you know what? We're gonna meet at dinner and we'll do a little update or we'll meet Tuesday night and do an update. But it's not going to be that we watch the news and talk about it and let that spirit of fear set the cycle for all conversation and information in the family because now we're inviting the spirit of fear to set the culture in the home. And that can't be the case. The home needs to be the place that the spirit of God dwells and perfect love casts out fear. So the spirit of love, the spirit of the Holy Spirit casts out fear so that ultimately there can be a healthy place for the family to live and do life together. But if you're home with your kids and you're home with your spouse and you bring the spirit of fear, it will absolutely collapse your family system and cause great dysfunction and illness. So you wanna make sure that you do talk about reality, you do so age appropriate and in an organized way. And then you fill your day and time with conversations about other things like the goodness of God and care for one another. Number four, in the middle of it, when we were in our complex grief season, I decided that Grace and I would agree on who our wise counsel would be. If you don't have wise counsel, here's what you do. You leak and you vent and you verbal process, at least I do. Well, you may be there with your kid. I did this this week. I sinned against one of my kids. I got some bad news and I just sort of processed it with them and I shifted that whole burden over to them. I had to repent of that. That was my sin against them. If you don't decide, you know, who your wise counsel is, then when you get information, you just sort of talk about it with whoever is there. That is never a good idea. You're dumping it on a coworker, total stranger, neighbor, spouse, kid. What you're doing is you're taking your burden and you're placing it on them. And they may not be the one that God has called to carry it. And you may not want to welcome them into your life for the next season, which is what you've just done by opening up the conversation. So for Grace and I, it was, well, obviously we're gonna go to the Lord first and transfer burdens to him and give our fears to him and cast our anxiety on him for he cares for us. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. We're gonna invite him to help us carry this because there are things that we cannot shoulder. They will crush us. We need the Lord to help carry those for us and with us. And in addition, I pick men, she pick women that we both agreed to a very short list of wise people that we would invite into the decision-making process. It's like, okay, what do we do now? Or I got a plan, but my my head's a little scrambled eggs. You're probably feeling that yourself. And I'm not sure if it's a good plan. And so I'm gonna run it by you. So we chose who our wise counsel was. And what you don't need is advice. And what you don't need is just to bring your family into your business. What you need 
is wise counsel. So it's determining who those people are and then asking them if you can call them or communicate with them to get some sort of feedback from them. Uh, in addition, I tried to get as much normal and fun on the calendar as possible. What we're in right now is a season of complete inconsistency, unpredictability, and abnormality. I mean, let's just be honest. I'm here in uh, Arizona. On Friday, there was a call with the governor uh, praying for him, good man. And he basically said, hey, you know, there's no restrictions on gatherings, Friday. Sunday, he sends out a decree, gatherings are over. Wow. Okay, that's, that's quick. I mean, that means everything is changing very, very quickly, probably like you. Now restaurants and bars are closed and I don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring and I don't know what next week is gonna bring and I don't, I don't know what next month is gonna bring and I don't know what next year is gonna bring. And it becomes very hard to architect any sort of life. If you're like me, I love a schedule. I, I, I believe in Jesus and schedules. I, I like to know where I'm going and what I'm doing. And ultimately, when you can't make any real plans for the future, uh, the spirit of fear has a real opportunity. What you can do is say, you know what, we're gonna try and get as much normal and fun on the calendar and into the routine as possible. And if your kids are home from school, this can be practical things like, we're gonna do family dinner. We're gonna watch a movie. Uh, when the weather permits, we're gonna go for a walk. Uh, maybe it's with your spouse, we can't go out, everything's closed down, but we can put the kids in bed and we can get some time together doing whatever it is that we like to do. You need to have some things in life during a season like this where there are some normal mile markers. This might be every morning I get up at seven, I have a cup of coffee and I read my Bible. Whatever you can do to get some normalcy into your routine is gonna be healthy for your soul and also getting some fun on the calendar. And of course, everything right now is in pencil but it's something to look forward to. That might even be tonight. We're gonna to do date night at home after the kids go to bed. Tomorrow, I'm gonna to get an hour privately with each of the kids to just check in. Uh, we will play games. We will watch a movie. We will go for a walk. Just whatever you can do to get some fun on the calendar so that life feels normal. Because let me tell you something, life might not be normal for a while. I hope, trust and pray that it is. But if it's not normal, you need to be normal. And if it's not okay, you need to be okay. And it's trying to control the things you can control. In addition, we made our plans in pencil. We made plans, but we made plans as far as we could see. Right now, I don't know about you, schedule, hard to know. A lot of my flights canceled, just like yours. Any plans that I had, they're gone. I don't know when we get to go out to a restaurant. I don't know when we get to move on with normal life. I don't know when the kids will go to school again. I don't know. So you make plans as far as you can see and you make them in pencil. The Bible says, thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light unto my path. And what that is, that's a lantern, not a high beam. Sometimes you don't get to see very far, just one step at a time. So we would make plans because what some of you will do is one of two things. You'll either make hard, sharpie, plans, like this is what we're doing and not deviating. Well, good luck with that in this season. Some of you will say, well, that's it. I can't plan anything. And life is going to feel very chaotic and disorderly. You make pencil plans. And what you need to do then is pivot. Well, we were going to do this. Now we're going to do this. This was planned. It's not possible. We'll do this. At least if you have a pencil plan, you can pivot from it. Schedule, life, budget, and the like. Things are not normal. And so you don't have to pretend that they're normal. Uh, but things need to be healthy, so you're trying to make them healthy. Um, as well, in this season, we learn to lament. 
There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. The number one category in the Psalms of these worship songs and prayers is lament. What this is, is grieving. It's a sense of loss. Like what I had is gone or who I had is gone. And in the middle of lament, there's also fear for the future. Like what is happening next, right? There's a loss of hope for the future. There's a loss of enjoyment of the past. We're all in that time between the times. There are things in the past that are gone. There are things in the future that are uncertain. And when that happens, it is good to grieve. It is good to mourn. It is good to emotionally process so that you can as quickly as possible become healthy and get to reality so that you can then prepare for whatever your future might be. So there was times in there that honestly, I tell you, um, I cried. I, uh, I was not a guy that cried. Uh, the only time I remember really crying uh, was when Grace miscarried one of our children and I wept. And then my daughters could make me cry, make me cry all the time. I love my girls. Be like, daddy, I love you. I get all teary. But as a general rule, I'm not much of a crier. And in this season, I found that there were certain moments where I just literally needed to weep. I just needed to process emotionally because the heart sometimes needs to have a funeral. And this is why we have funerals in our culture. When someone dies, we have a funeral to process it. When something dies, a company, a hope, a retirement, a plan, a ministry. Some of you, it's a wedding. I know gals that had their wedding planned and it's canceled. Kids that had their graduation planned and it's canceled. Kids that had their sports team scheduled and it's canceled. Right? People are having heart funerals right now because things that they loved are dying. And the fear is that people that they love may also die. All of that to say, it is a good time to grieve and mourn. And I, I remember um, I remember I was, uh, I got up one morning and I just felt very emotional and I started weeping and I thought, this is weird. And then the Bible reminded me that the shortest verse in the whole Bible is this, Jesus wept. Well, if Jesus wept and he's a real man, I guess a real man can weep now and then. Um, Jesus wept. He wept over the friend of his, death of his friend Lazarus. He, he wept over the state of his city and nation. It's okay to weep a little bit over the state of your city and nation, Jesus did. One of the reasons Jesus remained emotionally healthy is he processed reality and he grieved appropriately and he had the heart funeral when it was time. I wanna give you permission to do the same. Um, and then with this as well, some of you are religious and you, you're Bible people and I love you, but let me, just, let me just fix you for a minute. I'm a Bible guy, I love the Bible. But what people don't need in this moment is just a verse without ministry of presence. Sometimes religious people will come and they'll be like, God works out all things for the good of those who love him or called according to his purpose. Okay, we're done now, right? It's all better. It's, no, it's, no I, I still don't have a job and you know, my retirement's gone and I don't know when my kids are gonna go to school. And uh, yeah, I, I love the verse. The problem is the verse doesn't have a timestamp on it. It doesn't say that God works out all things for the good of those who love him according to his will and purpose by March 1st, it doesn't give us a deadline. And so ultimately it is true that when all is said and done and in 10 million years from now, this life will seem very short, but everything isn't ultimately worked out for God's glory and our good until Jesus comes back. Others, they just wanna quote a verse. 
Okay? What I'm telling you is sometimes quoting a verse shuts someone down and doesn't allow them to emotionally process the reality of what they're feeling and dealing with. I love the Bible. I believe in verses. I teach the Bible for a living. I love the word of God. But the word of God shows us that Jesus came to be emotionally present with us and to grieve. And he was a man of sorrows. Therefore, it must be okay if you're with and like Jesus to be someone who is filled with sorrows and has seasons of mourning as Jesus did. That's all I'm saying. If some of you tend to be a little bit more religious, you feel like if you say a verse, then it's over and you can move on. But what I'm telling you is we're in the middle of it and just saying a verse does not fast forward us to the end of the story. We'll see how it plays out and what God has for us all. A couple of last things. We look for God's people. And I know it's hard to do that right now. That's how I know that at least part of what we're experiencing is demonic. Social isolation is not good. The Bible says it's not good to be alone. The Bible says that we need to be close enough to each other that we can actually lay hands and pray on one another. And that is not a safe six foot distance. Now the medical doctors are telling us that we need to take precautions and be wise. So I'm not opposed to that, but I'm just saying that anytime human beings are separated, it is not good for them because God made us as social relational beings. And so what we did, we sought God's people. And what we look for was God's people who are earnest and heartfelt and genuine. Maybe you do this with FaceTime, text, call, email, use whatever technology. We're in this privileged position in human history. We're even right now, I'm in an empty room and you're probably sitting at home somewhere, but we can still communicate and you can see my face and see that I love you and I'm trying to help and I wanna unburden you and I have hope for your future. And I know God is good and he's for you. And I want you to look me in the eye and I want you to believe that and know that and trust that and live in light of that. There will be a day beyond this day and there is a better day. This is just the dark day. Who can you be in communication and contact with? And part of what happens when you do life with people, you find that some people are actually doing a lot worse than you and what they're enduring is a lot harder. For example, in our season of complex grief, which was an extended period, I'll never forget, um, we were in the middle of a really complicated, painful, overwhelming spirit of fear season. And some friends of ours have two kids with spina bifida. They got four kids, two of them got spina bifida constantly going to the hospital with emergencies and surgeries. And at that time we lived near a children's hospital. So they literally moved their whole family in with us and lived with us for a month. And what I realized every day was doing life with God's people gave me perspective. I was wondering, you know, what the future was hold. They were wondering if their child would come home from the hospital. Their kids were in for surgery, or at least one of their children was. And it gave perspective because sometimes when we're isolated, we think that our problems are the biggest problems. And then we meet some other people and we realize, man, they've actually got a taller mountain to climb than I do. And then it causes you to be grateful and also have compassion for them. And then to open up some of your heart, life, mind, budget to help unburden them because what they're dealing with is actually perhaps, at least in your estimation, more complicated than yours. A couple of last things. This is gonna kill you. This is gonna kill you. We were made for good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. Right now, this is all bad news. This is all spirit of fear. This is all spirit of fear. I'm not against social media, I'm on it. Find Bible teaching, encouragement, and hope. Find worship music and sing. I'm not saying that you should deny reality, but I'm saying that you should diminish reality. What I'm thinking is, and I need to do this. I've been guilty of this this week. I don't know about you. Um, 
my little uh, report came up. Hey, your online time is up, you know, 57,000% this week. And uh, it says that I'm basically letting this dictate my emotional well-being. So what we learned during our season of complex grief and what I would encourage you, and, and this is something I've not been good at this week, so I'm gonna covenant with you that we can both work on this. Set times. Every day at one o'clock, I'll check media and social media or something like that. Or I'll check it at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Whatever it is, set times. Turn off your at least news push notifications. Don't get into the tailspin of social media because the truth is more information won't give you more peace. More of God's presence will give you more peace. And so ultimately, it's not the absence of bad news, but the presence of God that'll make you healthy and get you to persevere through it. I'm not saying that you don't need information. I'm saying that certain information needs to be something that is regulated and controlled. If right now your kids are home and your spouse is home and the only thing that's on all day is the news, I'm telling you the spirit of fear has moved into your house. I'm telling you that those conversations are dominating your conversations, that that emotional tone and trajectory is establishing the culture for your family of home. And even when this is over and the news has changed and you're back to watching sports and the NFL kicks off, I prophesy it, it's coming, that ultimately what'll happen for you is the spirit of fear will live in your home even though the news has changed because you've welcomed the spirit of fear into your household. So I, I want you to control, not deny reality, but diminish reality and spend more time in scripture and in prayer and in making reasonable and wise plans and also calling, investing in and caring for others. The last couple things, all you can do, I'll never forget, it was one of the hardest days of my whole life. I, I woke up and I just felt completely avalanche, snowed under, complex grief, bad news, spirit of fear, overwhelmed, a bit paralyzed, not myself. And I remember just praying to the Lord and just saying, Lord, today, Help me to find your will and walk in it. That's it. Sometimes you can't know what the future is going to hold. You don't know what is coming. All you can do is get up and say, it's like manna that came to the Israelites in the wilderness. Here's my bread for today. And I'm trusting God there'll be bread for tomorrow. It's just sort of waking up and saying, Lord, what do you got for me? Okay, thank you very much. I'll worry about tomorrow when I get up tomorrow morning. Tomorrow's got its own worries. All I can do is make the most of the opportunity I have today, especially with information changing, especially with so many things out of our control. Let's just be honest. This is global. Everybody's in it. The whole human race is in the same boat. And ultimately, all you can do is wake up, seek the face of God, seek the will of God, and do the best you can with the information you have for that day, and then try again the next day and see if over time God doesn't bring that into some hopeful, helpful, holy future. Last thing I would say is along the way, just look for the blessings. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And that sounds a little crazy, but it's finding reasons to rejoice throughout the course of the day. I'm thankful for technology and that you've invited me into your life tonight. So I rejoice in that. I'm thankful that I have a wife and kids to go home to. Uh, I'm thankful that uh, the sun will come up tomorrow and the Lord Jesus will sit on the throne and we'll figure the details out. I'm thankful that I got a cup of coffee this morning. I'm thankful that even if the internet goes down, I still got an old school print Bible and something to do. 
I'm thankful if everything falls apart, ultimately I know where my home is and I know where my ticket is punched to. And even if they cancel flights, the flight home for me can't be canceled. The Lord Jesus is taking care of all of that. Find reasons to rejoice along the journey. There will be reasons to rejoice. And God doesn't want you to miss those moments and opportunities to stop and to have some enjoyment and some rejoicing in the opportunities and people that he provides. Well, for us, say, how did the story end? Most of my greatest fears happened. And I went through what they called the stages of grief. Number one, denial. Some of you have probably experienced, no, this can't be, this is fake news. This is, this is, this is, this. I don't mean to get political, but it's just us girls. So I'll just tell you what I think. But ultimately when the news and Donald Trump agree, when CNN and Donald Trump agree, you may want to think that that's close to the fact. Let me just throw that out as a hypothetical possibility. When CNN and Donald Trump are saying the same thing, you may need to deal with reality. And that is, we got a problem. We got a problem. Some people start, number one, denial. Number two, then it goes to anger. I'm frustrated, I'm raging, I'm yelling, I'm online. I'm beating people up for their toilet paper. Number three, then it's bargaining. Okay, God, if you all then, and, and it's trying to negotiate some sort of solution. And then when you realize that there are certain things that are out of your control, and here's the deal, everything is out of your control. Generally speaking, in seasons like this, we're just reminded of what's true and we'd forgotten and overlooked. What happens then is people have depression. Like, oh my gosh, this is my new reality. Point five in the grief cycle, they will tell you that then it's acceptance. Okay, this is reality, how do I move forward? Let me add one to it. It's something that a Christian counselor friend of mine added in our season uh, of real complex grief. He said, for the Christian, there's a final stage, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Rejoice in the Lord always. He said, you know that you've worked through a healing cycle, that you've dealt with reality, and that you've invited the spirit of God instead of the spirit of fear. When you're not denying reality, but you're dealing with reality, and your result is that there is Thanksgiving. Give thanks to God in all circumstances, the Bible says. It takes a heart filled with the Holy Spirit to get to that place. You're probably not there today, but I'm telling you it's coming. In closing, I'm thankful that the Lord Jesus never leaves me nor forsakes me, and he was faithful to me. I'm thankful that despite our season of complex grief, my relationship with the Lord Jesus is deeper and sweeter than ever. I'm thankful that God used it to build my relationship with my wife, Grace. I'm thankful that I really have wonderful kids that I love with all my heart and I'm so proud of them and I enjoy our relationship and, and our family loves and serves Jesus. We're not a perfect family, but I tell you the pressure pushed us together and made us love Jesus and one another more than ever. So everything that we went through, I don't want any of it for anyone, but I'm so thankful for how God used it. What was intended for evil was used for good. And I pray the saving of many lives to quote Genesis 50, 20. And what that did is it prepared us for this season where it seems like quite frankly, friends, there's another avalanche and there's more complex grief and we're kind of back into, okay, what's the future hold and how do we navigate it? I love you. There's hope for you. There is a future for you. There is Jesus for you. Anything that I have had the honor of sharing with you in this very complicated season, I would encourage you just to receive it and apply it and live in it and know that ultimately we're praying for you. We love you. We care for you. And insofar as my commitment to you, I'm going to be here on Sunday preaching the word of God. 
I'll be here on Wednesday preaching the word of God. And if need be, I'll find some other times to preach the word of God too. Because in a world filled with bad news, we all need some good news. Father God, thank you for an opportunity to just talk a little bit from the scriptures and from my experience and from my heart. And Lord, I pray for these dear people that have given me the real honor of entering into a sacred season in which many of them are suffering and struggling. Lord God, I pray against the spirit of fear. I pray against the enemy of servants, their works and effects. Lord God, everything might not be okay, but if we invite the spirit of fear, we won't be okay. If we invite the Holy Spirit, we can be okay and figure out how to make life okay. Lord God, thank you that ultimately um, this is not our home. Thank you that this is as close to hell as we will ever be. Thank you that a day is coming where we enter into eternal blessing and provision in your presence. And thank you, Lord, that in 10 million years, this life is going to seem like, as the scripture says, a little while. In that time, give us grace, give us faith, give us hope, give us power, give us peace. Give us Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Love you. Thank you.